Bam. Good morning. Good morning. Jethro Cardona, Jeffrey, David, Spiegel, Jeez Louise, Michael Shanks. Michael Shanks, Michelle Shanks. Hey, I'm reading this book. It's called The Longest Shot. I'm going to have the author on soon. Um, th- this is a uh, this is a really good book. I highly recommend listening to the audio book. It's called The Longest Shot. Uh, the author's name is Craig Harrison. Harrison. The audio book's amazing. I mean, absolutely. Uh, it's like, I can't even believe it's real. It's like an adventure book. It's so cool. And it, it's, uh, I, uh, I chatted with him this morning. Um, he's having hip surgery. So that's what the delay is of getting him on the show, but it's called the longest shot by Craig Harrison. I, I am uh, completely 100. Yeah. This book, I am enjoying it so much. Uh, definitely. It, it should, if it, I don't know if this was made into a movie, but if it's not, it should be. It is so fun. The beginning, the buildup to him even getting in the military, his childhood. It reminds me a lot of Roger Sparks's book. Um, this guy has a pretty strong English accent, and uh, yeah, it is. It is. It is so cool. Uh, Brandon Waddell, Tess. Good morning, Kevin Allen, uh, Mister Hartle, Spiegel, uh, Sean M, Austin Martin, Patrick Anderson. Hello, Alan Kesterbaum. Uh, good morning, Wad Zombie. Always uh, appreciate your support. Thank you for all the generosity and everything you've done for the show. Melissa, obviously, always smart and uh, generous in the comments. Thank you guys for all checking in. I heard this comedian the other day say something. I, wa- I looked for the clip and I couldn't find it, but the comedian said something along the lines of, if you, uh, well, all right, another show. Guest is here. Mr. Clark. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, good morning. I'm loving the shirt. Oh, thanks. Representing. What are you wearing? No. Pl- oh, I'm not- no is that a new shirt? No plan B. No, but I, but I always feel like it is when I put it on. I'm always like, damn, this is great. I love this shirt. Is that a new hoodie, Caleb? I got, I got a, so, I, did you say, oh, a new hoodie, Caleb. Oh yeah. What is that? What is that lid? Only Caleb? one, only one hoodie out here. It's from a uh, day. At Cross of PSKC. Oh, nice. Have we had them on the show? No, I don't think so. It'd be really cool if we could, though. He's a pretty dope dude. PSK? PSKC. PSKC, CrossFit P. SK. What's that stand for? I think it's like Portsmouth something. I can't remember exactly. It's Portsmouth, Ohio. PSCK? KC. KC. PSKC. And the dyslexia kicks in. Uh, Portsmouth, Ohio, home of hardworking, fun-loving people rooted in community powered by CrossFit. Might be a good affiliate show. Hey, I'd love to have you on my podcast. Sent. (laughs) Good morning, Allison. Good morning, Elise Carradouji, Louise Jason from Canada. You're not Canadian, are you, Clark? No. Mr. Clark? No. No. And, and, and you served in the uh, U.S. military? Still am. As a National Guard? Yeah. Holy National cow. Reserves. Yep. 20, it'll be tw- 29 years in this coming July. Wow. Yeah. Getting old. 
Are you addicted? <laughs> um, like, do you lo- like, do you love it? Is that why you keep doing it? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely love it. I mean, you don't stick around that long, especially some, I mean, it helps that it's part-time for me. It's one week in a month, two weeks in the summer, <laughs> you know, obviously like, <laughs> like Caleb, it, it, you know, there, there are some deployments here and there I've deployed three times, but, um, yeah, it's been good to me. I've taken, I've taken more out of it than it's taken out of me. When you, well, that's good. I like that. I like that math. When you um, entered the U.S. military, were you, did you enter as National Guard? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, used it to pay for school and um, yeah, paid for school and then was able to do a lot of other fun stuff because of it. Picked up a lot of cool skills, met a lot of cool people, you know, was able to travel the Middle East, which was, you know, I guess that's never for most people that's not on their bucket list. But I think I've been to every country in the Middle East in some form or capacity because of the military. Wow. Yeah. Uh, when, is that the primary reason why you joined is to help pay for school? Yeah, that that was it. Uh, my parents could have they offered to pay for school. I come from a military family and, um, you know, they offered to pay for school, but. The way I looked at it, if they were paying for school, then they had a say on what I wanted to be. Um, you know, my dad, uh, was paying, you know, pay, you know, he he wanted me to be a teacher and a high school coach, you know, a high school football coach, you know, which there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, I don't know. I wanted to do something different. And uh, I figured the National Guard was they're off 100 percent tuition in the state of Illinois for any state school. And yeah, so did that. And. GI bill and all the other extra stuff. I had a little bit more money in my pocket than most college students because of it. So it was kind of cool. How long, how long, how long were you in before you uh, deployed? My first deployment was 2006. So I was in almost mm, 11 years. So I went 11 years without actually any like major conflicts or deployments and nine 11 happened and I almost got out, but, um, I don't know. I got, I felt compelled to, I got, I felt compelled to stay in and, and continue to serve. Is the conventional wisdom when you join the national guard is that you won't deploy? It used to be up until nine, uh, up until, um, Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, then in, in some cases you had a lot of national guardsmen deploying more than, um, some active duty units. What is that percentage, Caleb? Can you look that up? What is the percentage of uh, National Guards people that deploy? Yeah, because I remember as a kid, those were the guys like, uh, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, like if there's a hurricane mm-hmm. or if there's a riot or like th- they basically take care of the homeland. Correct. And actually, that was reasonable. I was actually on my way out of getting out of the military. Um, I'd served up to 10 years at that time. And that's usually like shit or get off the pot you know, 10 years because everyone wants to hit that 20 year mark. And, um, um, I actually got called up for my first major deployment. It was right after hurricane Katrina. And, um, so we're sent down to new Orleans and we're at that time. We had a lot of units, national guard, armed active duty military, they're deployed overseas. So it was kind of a ragtag bunch down in, uh, down in new Orleans, you know, just helping with the flood walls and all, it was just crazy. And I met some great people there, served with some great people. And then I found out that they were deploying, uh, as soon as we got back. And I said, if I was going to deploy, I was going to deploy with them because it was just a great group. And yeah, it was like, I finally did something 
you know, a lot of National Guardsmen prior to that, they would go their whole military career without doing anything. Just a one week in a month, two weeks in the summer. And after 10 years, that was like my first major thing I did with National Guard where I felt like we were actually doing a job. Like you see in the commercials that where they're zip lining into the water and saving cats and dogs and school children and stuff like that. So that that was the first time because we, act, you know, it was, it was just so surreal during Katrina and, you know, just... I remember we one day, like us and a bunch of our team, we saved probably about 35 people from a retirement home that had been stranded there for over a week um, because of the flood walls just bursting. And it was just, I don't know, it was very rewarding. And I, I felt I finally felt like I found my calling because I was in charge of that group. And we did a great job. And I don't know, felt a, felt a sense of accomplishment. And if they were going to go overseas, I didn't want them to go without me. Oh. Is it deploy? Is Katrina considered a deployment? Uh, it's more of like a, I guess. How would you call that, Caleb? Maybe just a, uh, I guess an. Act, uh, I guess. Yeah. So, so like it's like a, it's almost like um, it could be, it would be considered a deployment because they're, it's along the same line as when they were doing the COVID, um, mm-hmm. coverage. Yeah. Like you had people de- deploying from our station to like Minnesota or mm-hmm. uh, Louisiana and stuff like that. Uh, I think it depends on like the duration yeah. of your, of your stay. And um, do you consider that a deployment Patrick? Yeah, we're Patrick actually, Virginia? actually uh, we, what, what Kalo seven turns of the um, how long, I think it's over 30 days. Um, then you're, you're put on federal orders. And when you're put on federal orders, that means it's, it, it goes under, they call them like title nine, title 10 orders. Yep. Um, and um the funding's different. So a deployment is usually based on funding, how you define a deployment. So we were actually put on national funding and then that's considered a a deployment after 30 days. Cause I think we spent, we purposely spent another week there because I think at the, at the time hurricane Rita came in right after Katrina and it hit Houston area very well, uh, very hard. So they extended us and we stayed over 30 days. And, um, when I was on COVID orders, um, I think I was on COVID orders. At one point, I was the longest serving Illinois National Guardsman on COVID orders. I was on orders for 18 months during COVID. Jeez. <laughs> it, it, had a great gig, though. Yeah, I'm sure. You got a lot of nurses that picked up orders like that, and they're just mm-hmm. basically travel nurses somewhere. And Yeah. They worked in, basically did nothing for <laughs> six plus months, just overseeing people giving mm-hmm. vaccines or taking or swabbing noses. Like, uh, yeah. And they call that a deployment. <laughs> yep. I got a lot of hotel points out of mine. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. I- I'm still using my hotel points from uh, when I used to travel every weekend with CrossFit. I, oh. I, tr- I truly am. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. It's it's nice to have. Nice to have in your pocket. Two, that's two actually years. what I used. That's, I actually used my points when I was in Vegas for Zealous Games. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, what hotel did you stay at? Like at a Hilton? A residence. I usually stay at a residence. They're usually pretty nice. They have full kitchens and stuff like that. Yeah, dope. Yeah. Um, so um, going back to Katrina, so you're in charge of like 15 dudes and you get a call saying, hey, these are this is the address. Um, yeah. And uh, we got 30 people there. Figure it out and go get them. Pretty much. We were... Um, we had a group, it was, it was approximately 12, 12 soldiers, you know, male, female. Um, and, um, we were, we were linked up with like some type of government agency, um, whether it be something, 
whether it be something from New Orleans, like whether it be their state highway, state highway patrol. I mean, we had so many different organizations there and we were attached to them. So we just provided them support. So we were a transportation company. So we had these giant, huge trucks. Um, we call them five tons, deuce and a half. I mean, we had, we had both and they're, they're mainly used for troop carriers. And because they're so high, uh, stand so high, they were actually above the, they would drive above the water. So that's what they kind of used us for. So we would actually drive up to these flooded houses that were like, you know, four feet underwater and drive up to them. And if there's someone in there, we, we tell them, Hey, come out, we'll help you out. What a scene. Yeah. That's an old deuce and a half right there. I think uh, back in the day, I don't know, in 2008 or nine, when I visited uh, Bill Henniger's gym, when he was he didn't him and katie's gym mm-hmm. i mean that's that's all they had i think this is way way back in the day he had one of those broken down just sitting in the back yeah and i i think eventually he got it repaired and up and running and, yeah they're uh, really they're really actually pretty simple to repair not very cheap especially nowadays but those have been around since before world war ii and the army was using those up and army actually the whole military was, they were using those up to probably about probably right in the middle of the, the war. Um, they were just so dependable. There's, you know, they're just an engine block and all you needed to do was oil change in those things. And that's it. It kept in diesel. And you um, loaded that thing with old people. Yeah, that we, I mean, we saved some animals, some young people. There's some people that, that just stayed in place when they tried to evacuate New Orleans, they, they refused to leave their home. And, um, I'd have to find some of these pictures I had because obviously, you know, I'm a photographer. I was taking a bunch of pictures while all this was going on. I'd have to share those with you, but it was some pretty cool stuff. Um, yeah, it, it was, it's probably one of the, you know, one of those moments that I'm, I'm most proud of in terms of serving, because it was like, again, it was one of the first times where I felt like I was actually doing what I, I signed up for, because as I told you, I've gotten more out of the military than it's gotten out of me up until the, up until then I was just, all I did was go to school one week in a month, you know, come to drill, which is our one week in a month, you know, hung over and hang out with our buddies. And then we'd leave on Sunday. That that was it. You know, I didn't really feel like I was accomplishing anything. Um, and then something like that happened and you're like, okay, this is why I joined, you know, this is the real purpose, I guess. Yeah. It sounds cool. It was probably one of the most uh, picturesque scenic, like, deployments i'm guessing you've done too in terms of just seeing this the stuff you saw would have made just endless great photographs yeah it was just so surreal i mean i'd never surreal, been in yeah. i never been in new orleans and you know we drove from illinois down to new orleans and on the way there people were evacuating so it was kind of a, a very sad scene because all these people are leaving their home and they're staying at these rest areas in alabama Birmingham, you know alabama georgia wherever you know, or living, live, literally living in rest rest homes, and because they're so displaced. And then we pulled into New Orleans, and it was completely empty. It was like there's an aircraft carrier right on the on the dock, you know, that almost towered the whole city, and and then you could see fires randomly everywhere. It was it's very apocalyptic, and we're going through like downtown traffic, going through all these neighborhoods, going down Bourbon Street, and there was like no one there, except for there was one strip club that was still open. Serious? Yeah. It was powered by generators, and the hotel across from it was a, uh, I forgot what type of hotel it was, but that's where a lot of the government agency people, um, like federal government agency people were staying at that hotel. Um, 
but it was it was crazy with like the one strip club that was open. I I, I want to say that um, the large uh, what is the biggest migration in in the U.S. I I, I want to say that I heard Katrina was the second largest migration of Americans besides the 1906 hist- uh, 1906 earthquake in San Francisco in the history of the United States. Now our border with Mexico might be that. Correct. Yeah, I, I would imagine. But yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt that at all. So w- have you been to the, have you ever been deployed to the border? No, I, I mean, they're trying to get me to, um, it's yeah, chaos they, down there. It is, uh, it is, it is K. I follow this guy, Jorge Ventura and uh-huh. it is chaos down there. I've heard, that's what I've heard. But, uh, for the military, especially as a commander, that's the last thing you want to do is be in charge of like 150, like basically kids away from home for the first time on the border and they're all staying in hotel rooms and they have money. That's the last I'm, I'm here. I hear horror stories. I was actually offered to take command of a unit that was deploying there. And I said, no, thank you. I'm, I'm fine. Because I, it's, it's, it's like, it's like managing a frat house a little oh, bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing a, a good buddy of mine. He, he was command of a unit. And he had like nine, nine soldiers got pregnant, you know, a bunch, you know, DUI charges and government vehicles. So they were getting pulled, you know, they're getting pulled over in a government vehicle while intoxicated. I mean, just, 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 yeah, it's just, it's hurting cats. And it's again, like a frat house and you get a bunch of young kids, like 18, 19 year old. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. And, you know, I used to be one of those kids, right. you know, so I was like, there's no way I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Uh, especially if you're partying, you know, three, four five days a week mm-hmm. and then you're doing the national guard thing on the weekend and you're 20 years old and then you get yeah. deployed. You just kind of maintain that lifestyle. Uh, did, did, um, it's the same thing with when all those pictures came out from, uh, Abu grave. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking to myself, I've seen crazier shit in the front, like those pyramids they were building with the prisoners mm-hmm. and shit. I'm like, well, I mean, I went to, I went to UC Santa Barbara, university of California, Santa Barbara. That was the exact same thing that was done there. Yeah. And yeah. you know, my, my friends are in the military. I was like, yeah, but they can't do that. They're supposed to have discipline. And my pushback always was, dude, they're fucking 19 year old boys, 19 yeah. year old boys get other 19 year old boys naked and build pyramids out of them. That's what we do. Yeah. I don't know why, but that's <laughs> why you have to keep us very, very busy. Yeah, exactly. And or we'll build py- naked pyramids everywhere. We'll build all, <laughs> we'll do a lot of stuff naked. My sister was deployed in Iraq when that was happening in Abu Ghraib and she was actually an, a military police officer. So she went to that, she went to that prison many a times to drop off people, drop off like, you know, or pick up people. And, um, and that was ran by a bunch of national guardsmen and reservists as well. And perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And, and she would, she would tell me like, I mean, my sister, she had a, a lot more rough deployment in Iraq than I did, but, um, and, and that's one reason why she's like my hero. But uh, she would tell me some of the stories and how it turned her kind of cold and callous. And when I deployed, I, that was the last thing I wanted to happen to myself. Uh-huh. But then it actually did turn that way um, where I did become cold and callous. And But, you know, through some help, I've, I've been a lot more open about my experiences. Yeah. Um, be, because of uh, cold and callous to protect yourself emotionally, because what you're Correct. saying is, 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 is too much to process in the moment. Correct. Exactly. 
like you hit a squirrel and you have a couple you you know you're driving to work now and you hit a squirrel and it's like you think about it for like a week yeah like you're over there and you're seeing fucking all sorts of bad shit happen every 15 minutes and it's like dude it took me a week to process the squirrel i fucking hit the other day (laughs) exactly exactly crazy um you have one one sibling your sister no i also have an older brother too did he go into national guard also yep holy cow all three of us holy cow and 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 all in uh older brother younger sister yeah that's my younger sister yep so she deployed first uh, i think 2002 2003 right Right when the war started, when we invaded Iraq, she was part of that. It was the wild, wild west back then. I deployed in 06, 07. Then my brother deployed in 2011. And his deployment was basically shutting down Iraq. At the time, we thought it was shutting down Iraq. And then my second deployment was actually, my deployment was reopening back Iraq. <laughs> so it was just kind of weird. It's, it's kind of weird how all our deployments, like they're different, but they're so similar in terms of, everything yeah it's my brother wow what a what what a trip that uh all three of you went that's pretty cool um uh what ethnicity are you i'm half chinese my mom's side and then my dad's side is uh um, uh, native american french canadian african-american and maybe irish wow um on on your um mom's is, is your mom first generation yeah, yeah. She was actually born born in Shanghai, and then during the whole communist rebellion, they um, the whole family moved to Taiwan. Dude, crazy. So crazy. There's there's all these people in the United States that I don't think people realize that are so freaking lucky to be alive. Yes. Uh, I'm Armenian, and my wife is Jewish. Mm-hmm. And, and my kid, the, the fact that either one of us is here today living on planet earth is, is absolutely nuts being in the last hundred years, both our, our groups of our tribes got went through a mass genocide. Yeah. How did it crazy that your mom got out of China? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that you're here and then, and then your dad does, um, what does he know about his, uh, you know, his generations, how he got to the United States? Um, well, I think my grandfather is the Native American side, and then my grandmother is came from like you know from Europe. So, and I think how they met in I don't know they're they're Hoosiers. My dad's a Hoosier, and they end up in Southern Indiana somewhere somehow. Um, but because of their ethnic backgrounds or the diversity, I mean, obviously my grandma being you know of European descent and my grandfather being Native American, they were kind of. I guess in the early 1900s or 20s, 30s, they, they were kind of, they played, I think my, my dad said my grandfather opened the first, like, I guess all races, like hardware store. So that he was, ah, like, blacks can use the same register as whites. Yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome. my, yeah. Awesome. And my, my, my grandpa actually went to, I believe my grandfather. Don't worry. My, we're going to fix that. We're going to yeah. get back. We're going to have a special line for blacks again here soon. Don't worry. It's coming. It, I don't doubt that at some point, who knows? Um, I'd like but, to get one for Armenians too, please. <laughs> and uh, he actually went to, I guess back then they called it the colored school. Um, oh, so he, y- your grandfather did because he was yeah. native American. He was, Correct. he, yeah. Yeah. And they, they actually built their house, my, their house, my, the house my dad raised in actually in the, the, the colored portion of Mount Vernon, Indiana. 
which is a small town outside of Evansville. And um, it's still, it's still there. Every time I go to Evansville, I drive by and, you know, I always pop my head through Mount Vernon and like, you know, look at the old house and the, the, the old um, segregated high school still there. It's, it's, it's crazy that it, it seems like so long ago, but yet a lot of those things are still standing and it just kind of, you know, I guess a reminder of our history or where we come from. What was the name of the town? Um, uh, you Mount, said in, Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon is that where the? It's in Indiana. Is that where is that where that jujitsu school is? Where they have an abandoned Caleb? We had the yeah. guy on Daisy Fresh. Daisy Fresh. Do you know about Daisy Fresh, Patrick? I don't. So in Mount, we had this. There's this group of jujitsu. There's the, there was a um, an abandoned dry cleaning service mm-hmm. like uh, i don't even think it's a dry cleaning mm-hmm. service uh, what are they coin op laundry place okay coin laundry, and this yeah. and this guy bought, bought uh rented the place and started letting and started teaching jujitsu in there and started mm-hmm. letting the boys stay overnight there oh wow and the place was a dilapidated pile of shit you know like Ooh. freezing in the mornings below 30 degrees and this i had this guy on the oh, show that's, base that's in illinois mount vernon illinois yeah that's that's oh okay okay but oh, uh, yeah, Mount Vernon, Illinois is actually I, I'm very familiar with Mount Vernon, Illinois. That's only like an hour away from me. And but these guys ended up. These guys are now like a force on the in the jujitsu scene, like really? hardcore. And they're just they're basically they're like, the you know, the um the peasant boys. You know what I mean? And yeah. they have a they have a series on YouTube. I highly recommend anyone see it. It reminds me so much of the shit we used to do back in the um crossfit days where like the camera work and the audio none of that matters because the content is so rich and it's basically the journey of all of these boys who live together on mats yeah and all I they could, do is jujitsu you know day in and day uh day out i could I see that like everybody watch that here yeah mount Vernon, illinois it's kind of like it used to be like a coal mine city now it's basically like a highway city it's kind of like a highway stop it's it's one of those cities you go through and it's like nothing but truck stops and restaurants right off the highway but uh, it's a very, uh, a very, um, it's you know, like I said, it's kind of a poor city. A lot of, you know, you know, white middle middle America, lower middle class. So I could definitely see that. Uh, Heidi Crumb, Daisy Fresh team team is all on the box of fruit drinks. <laughs> Careful, Heidi. Careful. How dare you? How dare you? I when I when I after I did the. Uh, interview with that guy i went to trulia and i started looking up homes there mm. and the most expensive home i could find in the area was five hundred thousand dollars and it was like 13 bedrooms on 40 acres with a pond i was like shit yeah. i'm I, with like a, a, a 60 by 40 uh barn in the back that i could turn into a skate park indoor skate park i'm like i'm moving yeah my wife's like no we're not <laughs> you don't want not illinois is not the the greatest place in terms of taxes either so it's one of those states where uh, we call in Illinois because I was raised in Illinois. I live in I live in St. Louis now, just across the river. My parents still live in Illinois. You live it, in St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Um, but it's it's a whole kind state. A, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, uh, ask, so, I'll ask you. I won't forget. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a whole state ran by you know Chicago's in northern Illinois, but it's all ran the rest of Illinois is ran by Chicago politics. It's crazy. You know, because the most of Illinois outside of Chicago is all like farmland and small towns and stuff like that. But it's being ran by big city politics. And it, it's kind of crazy, especially in the southern Illinois part. 
where I, I was pretty much central uh, Southern Illinois where I was raised. Yeah. I had this guy on the show. His name's Tommy G. I don't know if you saw that episode. He's a, he's a, he's a YouTube guy and he's got, I don't know, two or three or hundred thousand YouTube subscribers. And he makes doc, these weird documentaries uh, about just rough neighborhoods Mm -hmm. and he's a white kid and he goes into these neighborhoods and it's like all black kids. Mm -hmm. And well, th- th- that's actually not true, actually, because of the story I'm telling. And I can't remember where he went, but he went to this t- town called Kensington. Okay. I think it might be in Pennsylvania. And it's a city in Pennsylvania. And basically, he gets out of the car, and everywhere you look, there's people shooting up. Like, literally everywhere you look. There's just heroin and fentanyl everywhere. The cops don't do anything. Uh, he walks up on one guy while um, two strangers are like um, – starting his heart up again. What's that thing they give you? No, Novak, Novak, no, Narcan, Narcan. They give you the, the, uh, yeah, new, new Kensington. It, when I see shit like that and I, and I, I, I spent a lot of time in Oakland as a kid, but we still didn't have anything that crazy. Yeah. So here it is. So he just, or he goes to, he goes to these cities where he's just, he'll be out. The whole documentary will be him out in the middle of the street, hanging out with 15 kids all under the age of 16. And every kid has two guns, just brazen out in the open, an automatic uh, machine gun and a pistol. And they're in their Gucci bags. And, and and there's no cops, nothing, you know what I mean? Or he did one on car thieves and these people are just brazen. They just walk up to any car and just steal them. When I think of St. Louis, I think of that as one of those cities, like these forgotten cities, Cincinnati, uh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, mm-hmm. uh, St. Louis. I, is St. Louis like that? Like, man, that shit is just so hardcore. It's, it's like you, you can't even imagine. There's definitely a lot of parts like that. Um, especially during COVID, it became a very lawless city, it seemed like to me. Um, yeah, everywhere. That's That happened in yeah. California, too. Just completely yeah. lawless. Which is unfortunate because a lot of my good friends, they just joined the city police department during COVID. And a lot of, of most of them have gotten out since then um, because they joined to do, you know, they joined for noble reasons. And when they finally got there, they got caught up in the politics that they couldn't do their jobs. It was the wave of cop hating too. that. Yes, like, that all too. my cop friends said, Hey, we've just completely, we, we actually, my town, the mm-hmm. sheriff here was put, I think on a six month order to never engage. Yeah. I mean, just I, don't engage, just don't engage. Yep. I mean, it's, it's carried over today. I mean, just last night I was driving back from shooting an event and I'm at a stoplight and two cars just boom, just fly out or just ran it. Like they didn't care. It was like, and it was a major intersection and uh, it, it's just crazy because that didn't used to be like that. Um, North St. Louis is very, very, very uh, known for its violence. Um, there's, you know, gang shootings, you know, you know, you have the Kia boys. Is that what they're called? The Kia boys? Yeah. yeah. They, yes, they're running, Damn. They're, look at you up to your, that is some hardcore pop culture shit. I know they're, they've been running. The only reason why is like I, with the neighborhood I live in, it's like, right. I'm only a mile away from the arch. Um, I'm two blocks away from the Anheuser-Busch brewery. It's a, a section called Soulard. It's a very historical area. St. Louis, very trendy, very nice. Um, they hold the, it's known for having the second largest Mardi Gras in the United States. Um, but it's, it's a really nice area to live at. But um, every night, it seems like two or three cars are getting broken into. My car's my car's been broken into probably like four times over the last six months. Um, I've had to replace both Cadillac converters in my car because they, you know, people are just going underneath and sawing it off. And I've had two gym bags stolen out of my car. Oh, dude. I know. That's the worst. If you talk to anyone, that's a, uh, it's like, yeah. Uh, 
It's like you have nothing in there worth of value. Like who wants my sweaty knee sleeves and my grips and my old ass shoes. But these are, these are, uh, I, I, I hate to be such a, uh, um, discriminatory prejudiced person, but these are all young boys who don't have anything to do. Sure. These are, these are not, these are not girls doing this. Mm -hmm. These are, these are boys and the vast majority of them. You have to know for every drug addict you're, you see, you're also looking at a criminal mm -hmm. because they don't hold down jobs. And so the only way that they can get their shit is to take your shit, sell it mm -hmm. to get the drugs. And yeah. so it, it, it's, um, it's so nuts that it's it's so nuts. Yeah. It's so I mean, obvious what the problem is. It's boys who are addicted to something who don't have jobs, but but they but they have a habit that's that's uh, cost them a lot of money. And these are boys who would rather do drugs than date girls. It's it's, it's, it's a fucked up boy. Those, yeah. That's like the worst kind of boy. Yeah, I agree. Um I mean, I guess the argument could be made that if you follow either one of those paths, it's going to lead to, to disaster. But I much rather deal with heartbreak than um, than, oh. de than death. I love a little emotional pain. Yeah, I love a little yeah. emotional pain. Break my heart, girl. Break my heart. <laughs> Not you, Haley. We're too far in. We're too far in. You don't break. I'm done with those. You can't do that. That Haley's my wife. She yeah. she broke my heart. I'd be turned into a fucking Buddhist monk. Oh. Um, and, and when you were in the national guard, is that how you found uh CrossFit? Yeah. It was my second deployment to Kuwait. Um, uh, year, uh, 20, 2014. Yeah. 2014. The affiliate there was called camp Arif John. Um, it's yeah. I remember it was my second day. We got there. We're walking to the chow hall, me and my we call him battle buddies. It's another, he was a, like a captain, a real good friend of mine. We're walking to the chow hall and we see, <laughs> we see this, this we're in military uniforms. We're actually in our, our physical, our PTs. We're told that we can wear civilians and we're walking and we see this, this beautiful female walk by us and she's wearing, you know, uh, you know, leggings and, you know, just a, a, a t-shirt. And we're like, what the hell, who's she? And yeah. And, uh, and she we, is right there on the right people. <laughs> no, that's actually not her, but um, those are all actually old people in the service in that picture. But um, yeah, she ended up being the CrossFit coach. She was a civilian. She actually was a uh, regional qualifier in the Asia regional back then. Um, but um, yeah, it, it was crazy. And then we went there. My buddy's like, oh, he wanted to be a sapper, which is like special forces for engineers. And he's like, oh, I need to do that CrossFit stuff again, shape for sapper school. And I'm like, and I'm one of those people, hey, if you wrote me into something, I'm going to do it. Um, I usually don't say no. And I did it. And then I found this community. That's how you ended up at Barbend. But we'll get to that. Yeah. I found this community there and it was great. It was it was a, a great opportunity for us to kind of decompress. We One of our um, one of our coaches, the morning coach, he was actually the, the, the colonel that oversaw the whole base. You know, so he would go there, teach a class do do so do his workout and then he would go back and do like just run the base whether you know and the base had close to twenty thousand soldiers on it you know at any given time um and but when we we're in the gym we would call each other by our there was no rank everyone called i mean caleb will talk about it. it's just it's like a, diff, a different community you almost, it, it felt like you're home 
and we'd sit around and we all gathered around and we watched the CrossFit games and, you know, talk about CrossFit. And that's how I got to learn and got embedded in that culture. And it was, it was an escape. What did you do for fitness before then? Um, I just ran, I was a runner and every now and then I'd, you know, do some benches and back squats, you know? Uh, oh, you were squat. So you had some, how did you learn about squatting? Uh, football. I played college football as well. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, I had that basic strength and conditioning stuff, you know, um, you know, some cleaning, some pressing, you know, some box jumps, but you know, oh, it's funny because a lot of those stuff that you do, you see in colleges, strength and conditioning where, you know, strength and conditioning coaches like, oh, they're so anti CrossFit, but everything they do is CrossFit, you know, but they just refuse to say the, the name. Uh, my, my buddy, uh, Travis Bajant, uh, called me last night at 11 o'clock at night. So that means it was like two in the morning, his time. He lives in West Virginia. He's so excited. He can't even sleep anymore because his son is the uh, greatest quarterback currently in college football. Uh, next weekend, he's probably going to break the all-time college football passing record. He's going to be a number one draft pick out of a Division two school. Mm-hmm. And he told me last night he gets a knock on his door, and he opens the door, and it's Dan Marino. <laughs> and Dan Marino comes in and stays over for dinner. Uh, he just wanted to talk to Travis's son and Travis. And then that was two days ago. And then yesterday, he said Barry Sanders called him on his cell phone. Oh wow. <laughs> Barry Sanders. Oh. For those of you who don't know, I mean I mean I'm not up to date on football, but Barry Sanders I think was the greatest running back who ever lived that never was. It, it was yeah. really a bizarre fucking career, but he was twice the uh running back that Bo Jackson was. Mm-hmm. Um and if he he got the ball like you, and you were at home, you stood up. Yep. Uh, he was like on the worst team ever, but holy shit if he got the ball it was like on like Donkey Kong. Yeah, he would either he'd either it'd be he'd either score a touchdown or he would have the probably the most exciting ten yard loss ever. Yeah, he, yeah, he yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No play was ever dead with him. No one like, could tackle him. No, no. Um, yeah. And that kid, and that kid, uh, that kid, uh, Tyson Bajan, who's this quarterback? He is. Um, he was he crossfitted since he's a little kid because Travis mm-hmm. is a crossfitter. Well, I don't know if Tra- Travis owned a crossfit gym. I don't know if he's a crossfitter. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's too big. He he he's a big man. So you you're at the base, and uh, and and you get introduced to this. And, and why why aren't there um, ranks in the gym? Why does that go away in the gym? I, I don't. Is it official I, policy? No, it's not official yeah. policy. I think it's just it's just the the community. I mean, you know, I mean, you don't go to your regular box and you're calling people by their official title, like doctor or you know whatever. I mean, it's just it, either call them by nickname or their first name. And I think that that that's just CrossFit. And I think because that's how CrossFit is at regular box, it doesn't matter where your box at box is at in the world, it's going to still have that sense of community. So even if you throw in the middle of a combat zone with all these, you know, different ranks and different services, whether it be Marines, Air Force or whatever, everyone's still the common bond is CrossFit. And I think and that, and that community and you just you just fall into that. You know, it, like for me, it was it, it literally felt like I, I literally did not feel like I was in in the Middle East or in the middle of Kuwait. Um, that box itself is is still to this day. It's like I've never I'm outside of mayhem. 
that's probably like the biggest box with the most equipment I've ever seen because it's all ba- paid by the government. You know, when they built that box there, you know, they gave they gave them a shit ton of money. And like, okay, what do you need? Uh, I mean, they have probably like forty echo bikes at that gym. You wow, know? wow, uh, you know, it, it's is crazy. that gym still there? Yes. Still an affiliate, still ran. They still do L. That's where I got my L1 at there. They still do L1s, L2s there. Did CrossFit do – who was your L1 instructor there? Who came uh, there? Kate Gordon was one of them. And then the other two, I forgot their names, but they're no longer with CrossFit. But that's- Kate Gordon's the girl who hit her finger in the 2009 CrossFit Games with the sledgehammer? No, Kate Gordon's the one – she's the uh, CrossFitter with the sign. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's been the one that used to come yes. on my show all the time. Yes. Yep. Yep. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy because the next time I met her was at the 2019 games when she was on, on one of it was the first time she made the games on a team. And I went and introduced myself and she remembered who I was. And it's just like, it's been really cool. Just kind of like tracking her and you know, we're both, we're both in the industry in some way or some form, but it's, yeah, she was my, she was, she was part of my seminar staff. Uh, Tyler Watkins, uh, not a humble brag. I was Bo Jackson's accountant when I lived in Alabama. No shit. Wow. Hey, two or three more comments like that. And I might invite you on the show. <laughs> uh, my 11 year old asked me if Barry Sanders was any good yesterday. Great oh, question. Mark. I know. I, I know. I know. I tried to brush over it, Christine. I know. I tried to act like I was like, I know. I just, I just, that's just my brain. I just, I know, Matt, easy, everyone. Settle down, settle down. Sevon, please don't pick your nose on camera. I got something dry. Someone wrote in the comments yesterday that the, with that, yesterday they stared at a booger on my nose the whole time. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, I'm going to wipe, start wiping my nose a little more regularly then. So that cocaine you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, with this, uh, new, this new camera angle, you're not looking into your nose as much. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. Is that that's a good thing, right? I guess. I mean, I mean, there, there's probably people out there that are into that, but you know, not me. Fair. Personally. Who am I to judge? Yeah. Oh well, how, I was Barry Sanders' accountant. <laughs> oh shit. Oh, oh one, shit. the one-upmanship is starting. <laughs> I was or I am. Oh. Uh, remember your cameras on. Don't eat that. Fine. Fine. You do what you want. It's your show. Thank you, Patrick. That's you're my favorite guest now of all time. Mm. Uh, Savon, your your new camera making you look so sharp. I've all, thank you. I always look sharp. I, I just didn't want to overwhelm you guys, and that's why I always use that ass camera. But I appreciate it, Katie. You're not so bad yourself. You're 18, right? Okay. Uh, so so you go in there, and 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 there's a bond amongst the um the guys there. Obviously, um, when I think of a crossfit gym i think of it as a place like that's where i want i think of it kind of like a church if i find out someone's a crossfitter um and and they're a plumber i want that plumber if they're an electrician or if it's a a teacher at the school i would want my kid to be in that class or a doctor god man like Uh like it's almost a mandatory that my doctor be a crossfitter because of the because of what it says about someone that they participate in this lifestyle and the thing, and we know that the wisdom and knowledge that you glean from being in that cohort of people, was it like that also in the military? Like those quickly became your best friends or if you, if you had to go out and do it, yeah. uh, you know, around somewhere or do guard duty or do some mm-hmm. sort of shit, you're like, God, I hope I get a CrossFitter. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, those were the best of, guys. Those are they really are, especially now, especially now because the the army has adopted a lot of you know CrossFit type methodology. Uh, our physical fitness test is basically a, a giant hero workout. Um, so whenever I go to these like military courses or whatever, and these schools and we have to, we, you know, you always have to introduce yourself and tell them about something about yourself. So usually when I go there, I'm like, Hey, Patrick Clark from Illinois. Um, I'm a writer photographer for, you know, a CrossFit publication. And then everyone's like, you know, you can tell there's like a couple people that'll turn around and, you know, you could, the people that actually pay attention, you know, they're CrossFitters. And then they, then they start putting two to two together. Like, Oh, you're Patrick Clark. Cause they know, That's they'll awesome. know of my, they'll know of my work or they've read my work or they, you know, at the, or they've seen me on a YouTube channel, you know, doing some analysis or something like that. So it's just kind of cool um, when that happens. And then, and then you build that bond and you got, you know, you kind of, it just makes things easier. You know, it, it kind of gets away from being a new kid in school, that new, new kid in school syndrome where you don't know anybody. And, you know, at 46 years old, yeah, I still feel that whenever I go to some of these military courses. Yeah, that's cool. And, and when, when did you start writing? Well, I've always written. Um, when I was in college, after I quit playing football, I, I I worked for basically the PR department for my university, Southern Illinois. And what they do is the, they have their own media department. They call it sports information at the time. It's called like media services, media relations, wherever. So every university, especially the major one, has a, a department like that. So I started doing that. And um, at the time I was covering some of our, our Olympic sports at Southern Illinois, like swimming and diving track and field, whereas the full-timers, the, the directors, they're, they're covering football, the major sports. Um, so that's where I kind of started writing, um, there. What year was that? 2000, all the way up until 2011, I was pretty much, uh, in, in basically sports journalism. Were you, and, were you insecure about that in the beginning with your writing? No, not really. I've always been a writer. Like I would sit there and write short stories and, you know, stuff like that. Poetry, you know, really bad poetry. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was just learning AP style. Um, no, I, I wasn't really insecure about that because I, growing up. There's was, an AP style. There's an AP style. Yeah, there is. Oh, that scares the shit. Out of, like you have to have at least one dissenting opinion, shit like that. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it seems like that. No, it's just basically like just the format, a style guide. Uh, there's AP, which is, it, it's kind of, yeah. Uh, provides guidelines for grammar. So to, okay, okay. Like we had like a style guide. Okay, yeah, we had exactly. that at the journal also. Okay. Yeah. Because I always trip on the fact that every single article about CrossFit um, when I was there that would come out, you know, in the world, mm -hmm. always had one descending opinion. And since there were so few people that hated it, it was always the same couple guys. <laughs> No yeah. matter what the article was, those guys yeah. got publicity because they were haters. And I was like, this is fucking bullshit. Yeah. Well, now now you have tons of those type of people. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did that. Uh, I, I, I developed that. I was so big into sports growing up. Like my dad got me, one of the things he got me was a, a subscription to Sports Illustrated. And, you know, back in the, the when 90s. It was good. Yeah, back in the 90s, they had great articles and the photography. I had photography. one room on my wall was just covered with my favorite photos from sports. Illustrated. I tear them out and I, I wallpapered all my favorite photos, you know, the iconic sports photos. And that was a whole wall. And that's where kind of like my interest in photography came from too. So writing photography, I was kind of reading back of baseball cards, you know, that's where I became like 
a, ner a stat nerd, you know, trying to figure out how to figure out, trying to figure out an ERA or whatever, you know, batting average. Um, you know, that, that's where my interest came. And so I kind of used a lot of that when I started writing myself, I would refer to that, that stuff. It was kind of built in ingrained in me from my childhood. And uh, yeah, you know, and it just seemed like I, I got burnt out at it, burnt out at it from working so much in these small college towns and covering sports that weren't really going anywhere. And, you know, um, that I actually got out of writing altogether and, and refused to get out, you know, refused to go back to the business. And then of course, CrossFit kind of dragged me back into it. Um, yeah. So 2011 to 2014, there was, a, there was a hiatus in the writing. Yeah. Yeah. And photography, just creativity at all. I mean, those, yeah, that, those were kind of some dark times, not the darkest times I've had, but th that was kind of like from a creative out, uh, standpoint, 2011 to 14, there was really no creativity coming from me. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Do you think that those, I, that those dark times have made you more creative now that I always think that all the bad shit that happens, you know, five years later makes for a good joke. I always think of it as like dark times as kind of like being fertilizer, right? Yeah. Like a cow shits in your yard and it sucks for the first six months, but eventually that shit breaks. You know, I have to, I spread chicken manure all over my property once a year. My mm -hmm. wife hates that time of year. Yeah. But two yeah, months I later, it's all the flies are gone. It's all into the soil. And, and then, and then, you know, in nine months after that, you have the best fruit you could imagine from the trees. Yeah. I, I, I a hundred percent agree with that because the darkest time I had was after I got my first deployment when, when, you know, I was basically an alcoholic and try to take my own life. Um, and then I had that other time between 2011, 14, and then just recently after a really a, a breakup, you know, it, each time I, I was able to learn from one of those dark times and kind of cope, you know, use what my lessons learned and, and cope with those, those hard times as well. And it's, it's made things a little bit easier and for me and just, you know, just living my life and helping uh, others as well. What year was your first deployment again? Oh, six, oh, seven. Oh, six, oh, seven. And that was to where? That was to Iraq. Um, uh, um, if, I, if I get this wrong, just p please correct me. Uh, Patrick Clark works at the Bar Bend. Uh, we know most of his work um, coming from the Morning Chalk Up, where he was for a long time. I know him as one of the best contributors here in the comments section, uh, always uh, course correcting us, giving us little tidbits and details that I 100% of the time have always found helpful and appreciative of. And he has also moved into the space of uh, managing athletes um, is a manager and an agent the same thing? Uh, essentially. Yeah. I mean, agent is more the financials managed manager kind of handles like the logistics part, but most managers and agents are the same thing. So a manager might make, get together with the coach and make sure that the athlete gets from St. Louis to Carson with yeah. the right so that they don't have to worry about the plane tickets they have their food organized shit mm -hmm. like that make sure they have transportation to and from the venue make yep. sure they're happy manager's more like your best friend basically yeah and an agent is making sure you're getting uh, not screwed over on deals correct and how long have you been doing that uh a year wow congratulations and um is devin kim one of your athletes correct um, we'll come down to that. Congratulations, by the way. I dig her. Oh, she's awesome. She's, wow. she's great. 
And her parents should be proud. I would they, be so proud if my boys grew up to be like that. Yeah, I've actually had a couple conversations with Wayne. Um, I haven't had the pleasure to meet um, her mother yet, but Wayne is just a salt of the earth type of guy and just great. It was great when when I when I had a call with her and Wayne. It was it was just it was just really cool. You know, if they if they didn't want to go with me, it was fine. As an agent, I would have just been happy just knowing them. It, absolutely. Uh, two two thousand. I think is her mom might be on the affiliate team, or she was. Yeah, um, I think she still volunteers. She helps out. She's no longer employed though. Oh, like me, I, I volunteer yeah. <laughs> on the uh, media team. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, in two thousand six, when you deployed to uh, Iraq, uh, were you drinking before you deployed? Oh yeah, yeah. And then so you deploy, and you can still drink when you're there. No, I oh. mean no, you're not supposed to. Okay. And and how long were you there? Uh, a little over, I think 13 months I was deployed. Yeah. It was during the surge. You know, do you re- recall what the surge is? I remember that, it being all over the news. Yeah. I was that it was during that time. I think the highest amount of us casualties happened when I was there and in the area I was at. So, yeah. Uh, Ty- Tyler spilled Sevon has the best stutter thought gathering pause can be from a half second to five seconds, a five second stutter. Well, I'm glad I've cut back on the coffee and it's like a placeholder while he comes up with another analogy. I think that, I think what you get when you see this podcast is really, truly me, except for that stutter. I don't think I do that in real life, but I'll, I'll in real life, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll ask my wife after the show. So, so uh, one more time. How long were you there? Uh, 13 months, 13 months. Yeah. And, um, what, what was that deployment? Like, what was that surge? Like, what did you do there? So I was, a I was an E six, which is staff sergeant, which is probably the best rank. If you're ever going to be in the military in terms of army, um, you're like, you're, Oh, you're, I think Caleb may have shook his head. Yeah. Yeah. And no, the Air like, Force no. is for way yeah. Better. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, uh, for a deployment, it's like you're in charge, but you're not in charge. Like I was in charge of a group of 12, 12 soldiers, uh, a bunch of kids, male, female. And our, we, we ran security escort teams. Um, what it was, any, anything that went outside the base, especially of a civilian uh, vehicle, they had to have armed security. So part of our job initially when we got there is um, we were attached to, we call them a recovery crew. The recovery crew, their job was whenever something got blown up, it was a bunch of DA civilians, um, Department of Army civilians or whatever, contractors, U.S. contractors. They would drive their, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, tow trucks or whatever, out to the site to recover the vehicle that got blown up. But they, the, the civilians weren't allowed to have weapons, so they, we would provide the security for them. Um, so we, we basically, we were a QRF, a quick reaction force. So whenever something bad happened, um, something got blown up, it was, we would immediately, they would call us up at any time. We'd get in our vehicles, drive out there, provide security for the site while the civilians were loading up the vehicle and checking to make sure that there was no bodies in there or what's whatnot. And then we'd load it up and then we'd drive back to the base. So that was like the first half of the deployment. Then the second half, when the surge was happening, they'd shut down a military base. It was called Warhorse, which is like the coolest, name you ever if you're gonna have a military base war war horse is what you would call it but it was right on the outskirts of this place called uh, i'm trying to remember what it was called but it was where the the u.s army and the marines was concentrating a lot of their efforts at um 
a Bakuba. It was called Bakuba. Um, it was in the Triangle of Death, <laughs> which is another cool name. But they kind they, of, kind yeah. of depend on what your relationship is. As long so. as you don't have to drive so. through it. Yeah. So they're reopening up that base. And to reopen up that base, they needed a, a bunch of, you know, food, ammo, equipment, stuff like that. So where we're staying at was a place that was the largest Air Force base in Iraq. Um, it was Balad, um, Air Force Joint Base Balad. It was called Camp Anaconda at the time. Is that the one that we we evacuated and left our shit there? I mean, no, I think that was, that was Afghanistan. Yeah. But we, um, yeah, our job was we had, we'd have like 20 civilian tractor trailers, you know, like regular trucks, brand, but you know, um, and we would just provide security while we take, while we, we resupply the bait, the smaller bases. So during that time, during the surge is when a lot of shit was going down. Um, every time, every time we left the wire or the base, we were either, uh, we either got shot at or we got blown up. So, um, yeah, that was th- those two months because that happened right before we were supposed to come home. Those two months were just, just constantly on. We we're just, you know, just on alert. You were filling the new base up with the supplies. Well, it's an old base, but we're resupplying it. Resupplying it. So yeah. that's what your crew would do. Those same guys that used to go out and protect basically the firemen and the ambulance drivers and the tow truck drivers. Yeah. Now you would you were basically a moving service to move uh, supplies to the the reopening of this base. And how far was it from uh, the Air Force base you were at? Not that far, maybe about thirty miles. But you know, we were going maybe twenty miles per hour. And how many times would you go every day? Every day, every day, unless we missed we missed the window because you. We had these like windows um, to come back. If we missed the window coming back, we would have we basically stuck there during the day because they wanted. Where us would to you eat. sleep? Where would you sleep? We'd find some place either on our trucks or they had like a small gym there. We'd we'd throw a cot down and sleep there too, you know, or outside the coffee bean. What's that? The place, the <laughs> coffee hat. They have a coffee shop there. Yeah, yeah. Caleb was familiar with coffee bean. Yeah, yeah, they still have those. Yeah, it's like I, I, sorry, Patrick, I interrupted you. You were going to get say talk about being stuck there. A, a, a yeah. reason for it. Yeah, because they wanted us to move at night because they felt like it was safer to move at night. What? Day. Yeah. So, <laughs> which was just dumb because that's when that's when they would you know the insurgents or whoever the terrorists would always that's where they would plant their bombs or IEDs or set up these things. You know, it's not like. It's not like we're really quiet because old we we're making all these movements on highways and on these these roads that were well known, well traveled roads. So we we hardly moved at all during the day. So if we if we didn't hit that window to leave the base, then we we're stuck at that base, which wasn't bad because if we're stuck at a base, we just spend all day sleeping and catching up on sleep, or you know sipping coffee at the coffee bean. Um, so every time you leave, is there is it cr- is it crazy intense? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, like almost pa- like do dudes have panic attacks and like I can't go, I can't go. Like are people freaking I, out? I, I didn't, but since I was you know the convoy commander as we call it, I I would literally sit there because I was the oldest person we had. I was thirty years old at the time. Everyone else was like 18, 19, 20 years old, and just kids. And you know, <clears throat> I would sit there and I would replay in my head every possible scenario. So I would. I would get the briefings. I would get the mission. I would get, you know, all the Intel 
And it was my job to kind of disperse that to, to my soldiers. And I would, I would hold some of that information or some information they just didn't know, or there'd be some information. If I told them they would freak out, like you said, they would freak out or so two hours earlier on the road, we had an ID go off mm -hmm. and we also saw a, a, a group of uh, Taliban hanging out. Yeah. And yeah. they would still send you, you'd still go out. Yep. Yep. At, I point, mean, at, at point seven, there was danger yesterday. They got shot out. Look out yeah. for point seven. So the whole time as you drive through point seven, are you like, what the fuck? Are you like, you want to, did you ever feel like you want to throw up? Oh yeah. Many a times. Anytime, anytime I got that feeling, I felt that I wanted to throw. It was kind of like my spider sense. And it's usually when we went through these small towns or these choke points or these, they had traffic circles, which are perfect ambush sites. Yeah. Um, you know, anytime we went through that, it's like I just get this weird feeling in my stomach. But that's usually when we got hit. You know, we you know we either have a complex IED attack or a complex ambush of some sort. What and does that we, mean, complex? Uh, it it would be multiple. Yeah, multiple, or it was just something that was well planned out. Like an like, IED goes off and they're shooting at you. That which was most of the time, or they would they set off a small IED because they knew that whenever an IED went off, that we would have to stop. And once we stop, then we're kind of sitting ducks. A complex ambush often involves a mixture of small arms and explosives to both maximize casualties and still chaos and confusion and cover the retreat of insurgent yeah. forces. Was your vehicle ever hit? Yeah. Yep. You were in a vehicle that got shot at and bullets hit the vehicle. Oh, uh, bullets were no problem. That happened every time. It was the IEDs that got us. And, so when uh, you got to your location, would you get out of the car and be like, walk around and be like, holy shit, that one almost got us. That yeah. one could have killed me. Yeah. Most of the time we joke about it because, you know, obviously humor and comedy is the best way to deal with stress and, you know, anxiety. But yeah. Yep. And do you ever lose anybody? No, no, that, that, that's the biggest thing I'm proud of that we've never, well, we haven't, we never lost anyone in combat. I've lost some friends since then. From those teams to from suicide from suicide correct so that because you hear that stat a lot that yeah. it's higher than ever that it's like you know the, one of the the running jokes in 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 my tinfoil hack group is you know six military members died of covid 569 killed themselves like what's mm -hmm. the problem here yeah yeah 22 22 per day veterans uh take their lives no shit yeah that what, what is that, that that's over seven thousand a year Mm -hmm. God, that's a lot of people killing themselves. Yeah. And that, and, and, um, that's, uh, is the connection there. That's the trauma that they experience while deployed that didn't get processed. That and the trauma of them trying to integrate back into society. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that was, uh, I had this guy on Roger Sparks, and he was talking about that, that basically like one minute he's lo loading 11 dead bodies. He's getting shot at and seeing his friends get killed, lo loading 11 dead bodies into a helicopter. Mm -hmm. And then four days later, you're at a fucking base in Germany. Yeah. And it's or, like, yeah. Or, you know, I think the hardest thing for me was like, I was constantly on 11, you know, like, you know, if 10 was your alertness, I was always on 11. Um, and then you would get home and within two days you're in a Walmart. You know, and then like two days earlier, you're like, you know, you're, you're scoop. Yeah, exactly. You're at a, you're at a IED site, you know, watching this thing, watching a, a vehicle burn itself out because, you know, a, 
they they hardly rarely they rarely ever like showed up to a site if something got blown up to, with like a fire department and hose it down they would just let it they would just let it burn out you know and it would take anywhere from eight to nine you know ten hours for you know a vehicle to burn out especially if you had ammo or anything in it um so you'd have to stand there for nine hours on fuckled on level eleven alert waiting for a second attack and then when this thing finally burns out you drag it away basically yeah. And as this is happening to you day in and day out, are you are you aware of the uh, toll it's taking on you? No, no, I didn't. I was more me personally. I I had a couple days where I was just like, man, this is this is fucking hard. But most of the time, I was more worried about the soldiers because, you know, I think this is where a lot of like my suicidal like tendencies at the time came from because like I always said to myself like, if something would happen to us, I hope it happens to me and not to these kids. I hope right. they die because like I you know at 30 years old, I'm like, oh, I've lived a full life. These guys <laughs> haven't lived a life yet. And then You're a good it, you dude. Know, and then at the time I didn't. I mean, I I you know, I hadn't even started living my life. I mean, I still haven't, but that that's where like my thinking started. So, you know, I how, I, how do so so you come you come back from that and, and and that's all was that in 2007? Yeah. And then we're right then. Yeah, and then I got back and sub- actually got back like the day before my birthday, and then my civilian job at the time at the university, they uh, they told me that I didn't have to start till the new year. So I had what three months to myself to my own devices. Where did you do that? Um, I basically spent my time between St. Louis and Vegas. Oh shit! Wow. Yeah. Did you know anyone in Vegas, or were you going there for extracurricular activities? Yes and no. Okay. I knew people there. Sometimes I meet up with them. Sometimes I didn't. Did you ever get into drugs? I dabbled, uh, but but that what? But alcohol was your alcohol was mainly it. Your go to. Um, how do you remember your first uh, suicidal thoughts? Yeah, like how how it crept in? Could you tell yeah. me about that? Um, I was literally. This was like actually the a week before I actually tried to take my life. I was um. I was sitting in my apartment. Wow, that escalated quick. You had your first thought, and then a week later, you were taking action on it. Yeah. Wow, that is fast. Yeah, it was. It was, and it actually didn't happen until later. It was probably like it was in January of 2008, and I just started working at my job again. And I looked around. I was sitting in my apartment in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and I was looking around my apartment, and all I had was I had. I don't know. I felt, I, I just felt broken and I felt broke. Like all the money I made from my deployment was gone. All I had to show for it was a TV and an Xbox, you know, and I'd made, I'd made over like $80,000. Like when I came back from my deployment, I had $80,000 in my checking account. And then here I was three months later, I had nothing uh, besides a paycheck I was getting. I mean, I was looking forward to going back to work because I needed, I needed money. What was your job at the time? I was working at the university. Yeah. Back at the university working athletic department. Okay. And, um, they hold the job for you, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They have to, they have to. Yeah. Um, No one has to do shit. They will fuck you quick. Per the government. Per, yeah. (laughs) Per Per the government. They have, they have have to hold a job for people who are in the guard or deployed or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I just started, I looked around and it was like, man, this is, this is sad. I had no, I had, you know, I had nothing at the, I mean, I had, obviously I had my family, but it's like, I, I, where did they live? Did they live in that town? No, they were, they were like an hour, hour and a half away. 
I mean, Missouri, uh, Cape Girardeau is about an hour and a half away from St. Louis, the St. Louis area where we're from. But, you know, I just, there's nothing. I had nothing. I didn't have like a girl or someone I can convey. I mean, I had friends, but I, I was like sheltering them, but I didn't have like any, I, you know, I just, I was just, I, I felt like I was, I hit the end of the end of the road. And then, um, then I started drinking some more and then I got numb to it. And then, Oh, you know, a week later, I, I just, I guess I decided I was going to try to end it. Um, do you, do you remember the thoughts that build up? Did you think of it as suicide? What words did you use? Like, were you just like, Hey, I, I, there's nothing here for me. Were you depressed or was it kind of like, were you ambivalent to it or the, I was tired. Tired. I was just tired. I just, you know, it's like like exhausted, exhausted, kind of done with life. Yeah, I, I, I don't have any more in me. Yep, exactly. Just like I just want to close my eyes and just fall asleep. Uh, like so, so were you depressed or is it more like I've just had enough? Uh, both. One led to the other. Like my depression led to that. Because um, and may, maybe were you looking for something new, also like hey, like you didn't know you were looking for something new, but this is this is this has become um, tedious and a, a chore to live. Yeah, the ma- the magic and the excitement is gone. Yeah, of being yeah. alive. Yep. I know that I f- I feel like my experiences with that that's what it was. It wasn't mm-hmm. de- so much depression. It was like I'm I'm done. Yeah. You're just tapping is, out. I'm just tapping out. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what it felt like. I mean, you know, depression was a symptom of it, but, but the overall thing was like, yeah, I was just tired and just wanted to, just wanted everything to end and just didn't want to deal with all the stuff. Didn't want to deal with just simple tasks. You know, I didn't, I mean, at, you know, I still have anxieties when I go to like huge events, you know, yeah. stuff like that, you know, and I was like, yeah. I, I would purposely avoid going to Walmart. If I went to Walmart, I'd go like late, you know, back when Walmarts are 24 hours, I would go to these superstores. I would would go like at 2 a.m. because there was no one there. Do the lights even bug you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what kind of what it's like, I think, also for people who like live in the country or people who get old. Like as I get older, I cannot like I don't like even like the 20 parents who are like watching the kids do jujitsu in the class. I, I, I have to go outside. I get overwhelmed. I get like sensory over sensory stimulated. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, did you, did you, do you know what the root is of it? Did, was there something, um, do you know what kind of closed you off to the world that the world didn't seem magical anymore? Did you, do, was there any moment in your experience over there that you think like cauterized you shut or it was just the totality of it, of just a burnout? I think the totality of that. And then also, also being around my team, being around those group of people and them depending on me and me depending on them, you know, um, you know, I just felt like I didn't have a purpose. Yeah. You know? And those guys, those, 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 my team, I mean, all of us, we, that was, that was our purpose. That was our meaning. We were, we're doing something bigger, whether like, I didn't agree with why we were at war. But that's not why I went to war. I went to war because of these these kids. Because I felt like if they didn't go, if I didn't go with them, they wouldn't come back. Fair. So I put a lot of pressure on me. Um, it was never political for me. I knew. I mean, I know that I'm a political pawn. I know what the military is, but it still doesn't stop me from serving because I because it, 
that's bigger than me. So I have to concentrate with what I can't control. And that's what soldiers and the, these young, these young soldiers coming up, if I can help them out in any way and make their, their life easier then then I, I felt like I've accomplished something. I wonder if that's why you've stepped into this role of um, agent manager. I think so. I, I really, I think so. It's me wanting to help people and mentor. I'm, I feel like I'm good at doing that. And you have endless energy for it. Like when you have purpose in your life, it's like mm -hmm. you could do it 24 hours a day. It's like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you come back, the thoughts start popping in a week later, you take action. How, how, what was your uh, method? What was the plan? Sleeping pills. I was too big of a pussy to shoot myself. Thank God. Um, so I just took a bunch. I mean, did you a, have a gun? Yeah, I did. Um, but the last thing I did, wanted to do was have an open, uh, uh, closed casket. I didn't want someone to find me, you know, you know, with my face blown off or, you know, yeah, I didn't want to put people through that pain. I mean, I, I understood that whatever I did, if I did, you know, if I was going to kill myself, that people were going to be in pain, you know, but I didn't want, I didn't want to make it any worse. Um, so I ingested a shit ton of sleeping pills and drank a shit ton of vodka and, you know, sat on my couch and then, and then just drifted off, drifted away. Um, were you crying at the time or, or no, no, think, no, emo kind no. of emotionless. I, I, I cried. I cried a lot when I, when I came, when I, when I woke up in my own puke uh -huh. and realized that I didn't do it. Wow. Uh, it, it, did someone find you? No, no. Wow. Fast. Did you cry because you wish it had worked or because you realized you it was a mistake? Alive. You realize you're still alive. It was a little bit of both. Uh, initially it was because I, I think that I didn't, that I, that I'm, that I didn't do it. And then once I started thinking about it, I was like, you know, I cried because that I actually thought about doing that. Are you, are you a religious man? You no. believe in God? No. Do you believe I'm, in God? I'm I'm spiritual. It's weird. It's like I guess whatever. <laughs> I mean, I do believe that. You read your horoscope? No, I don't do that. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I I find all that stuff interesting. But I'm not. I mean, I, I I'd say I'm more spiritual than, but not to the point where I'm like you know, you know, praying to anything. And, and, and how did, how did that, uh, was that your only attempt? Yeah. And how, how do you think that that, um, and that was in two, that was, uh, 2008, six, six, uh, okay. So 14 years ago. Yeah. Does it seem like 14 years? No. Like seems more recent. Yeah. Yeah. Like it I, especially been now, year. especially now because, um, I've, I've, I opened up and share my experiences now. So that's why it seems like it's just like yesterday before, you know, I was ashamed to even bring it up until, um, yeah, until I started becoming a proponent of it, not of committing suicide, but just sharing, sharing my experiences in the hopes of helping other people. I have some pretty strong opinions on um, embracing death and people in, mm -hmm. in that it, at, there's a depth to life. Once you've embraced depth that, um, I, I don't think it can be forced on you or practiced. It's kind of weird. You kind of have to be uh, called to it like you were. Yeah. 
Um, do, do, do you, do you feel that? Do you feel like that there, it, 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 I, it, it dug a, it dug a hole in you that now you can fill with wisdom or it, it did yeah. something to you that, um, that there's no other way that anyone could have unless it, it's the cohort of those who've either experienced near death or who have attempted death. Yeah, I feel that way. Um, especially lately, you know, uh, within the last like four years, um, especially once I, you know, yeah, now that I've become a little bit more open and shared my experiences. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm not scared of death anymore because, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm like, I've, I've accepted that it's going to happen um, at some point, at any point. I mean, I'm, I'm, th- I'm lucky to be here to begin with. I mean, I don't know how many times that I've, you know, I should have been, de- I should have been dead. Right. I mean, if you're in a car that someone shoots at on a regular yeah. basis, it's fucking crazy that you're alive. Yeah. We, I mean, I've been hit by three IEDs. Wow. Any that stopped your vehicle? Yeah. All of them stopped the vehicle. Oh my God. What but, a fucking crazy job. Oh, I just want to be a national guard. <laughs> I just want to, you know, go to college and I just want to play soldier on the weekends. I, yeah. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to come over here. Yeah. Yeah. I, then those aren't your words. I'm just saying that. No, 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 no. But you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because I, even to this day, when I go to, uh, when I go to, um, my one week in a month, I call I go play army. Uh, Melissa, uh, Odier, uh, one of Sevy's guests said wa- wanting to die and killing yourself are, are, are different things. Yep. <laughs> um, did you, uh, this is kind of just gross of me to ask, but I gotta know. Uh, wh- why did you fail? You didn't take enough pills or you didn't drink enough vodka? Like what could, what should you have done differently? <laughs> You know, I think I think it was, I think it all came down to positioning. I think what happened is uh, I I fell on the couch, and what I think what happened, and this is talking to other experts, and maybe Kale, you know, might might be able to correct me on some of the stuff. I guess my body started convulsing, and when it was convulsing, I fell off the couch and I fell on my stomach, and when I fell off my stomach, my head turned, and then I threw up. Um, I think I was from the time I woke up to when I took the pills and blacked out to when I woke up, it was a matter of eight hours. So at some point in those eight hours, I, you know, it, it hit me, I convulsed, fell off the couch and woke up in my own puke. But the good thing is I didn't land on my stomach, which is, it's crazy because my old roommate. Oh, cause you would have drowned in your puke. Correct. Yeah. Your body won't digest all of those drugs and all of that alcohol. So yeah. it'll force itself to throw up even if you're unconscious. Mm-hmm. So it all depends on how you land, essentially. Like mm-hmm. if you're laying on your back and you've already ingested all of those things, like you're just going to drown in your own vomit. Mm-hmm. But if you're, that's why when you have like alcohol poisoning or stuff like that, when with college kids, you just roll them on their side and they'll just start vomiting onto the ground mm-hmm. instead of it just going back into their mouth and not being able to be evacuated properly. Mm-hmm. Fucking nuts. Oh, what, what were you, you were going to say something. Um, yeah, my, it's, I think about it because I had, uh, he was a fraternity brothers of mine in college. He was a, my old roommate of mine. He, he passed away in 2019, um, from kind of the same way. Like he, he, he drank a lot of, he drank a lot. 
had a bunch of drugs and passed out and he died from puking uh, from you know from his from you know choking himself and drowning sounds like the worst yeah and you know it, it, it actually just it actually just dawned upon me that he died the same way that I try to take my life and I just I, I didn't think about it until just this moment and it's just like it's crazy because I'm literally the place I'm living at right now this this is the spare bedroom this used to be his bedroom oh um, shit wow and then it's like it's like it's crazy um where life takes us because that that's just yeah wild you're not married no you have two dogs yep um did your did you any of your siblings go through similar uh of trauma that you went through um i don't think so um if anyone has it's probably been my sister more than anyone but she's so like yeah she's 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 a hard ass um are you close um, with them I'm close with my sister. My brother, me and my brother are close too, but me and my sister, she is. Um, me and her are a lot closer. I think a lot of it has to do because we're both still in the army as well. My brother, he he retired a couple of years, uh, maybe four years ago. Are your parents still alive? Yeah. Mom do they know both. this? Do they know this story? Uh, not not in details. My dad knows. You know that. Um, you know just in me having conversations. Um, yeah, he, he knows, but he's a Vietnam veteran and he's gone through his own, he's fighting his own demons. Even now he still fights his own demons. Wow. Uh, the, the whole, every, every like three minutes, I, I think, Oh shit, what's Caleb going through? Um, you, you, you recently, uh, you recently went from uh, morning chalk. How long were you at the morning chalk up? Almost three years. Wow. And and how long has the morning chalk up been around? Gosh, maybe six years. I don't. I don't know if you know the story, but when it first came out, I think it was just an email, and mm-hmm. I remember, oh, this is really cool. And then someone told me that the guy who was running it, who I believe was Justin LaFranco at the time, um, he had come from like being a lobbyist or something, and he had done something similar on a daily basis in D.C. or something, and then he just took this know-how and knowledge and this uh, presentation. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say just because I, I, I by no means do i mean to belittle it and he brought that to crossfit and i remember subscribing to him and be like this is fucking dope yeah. and then i contacted and then i was and at the time i was uh the executive media director at crossfit inc and i was like hey i'm gonna buy this i told greg mm-hmm. i said hey i'm gonna buy this from this guy yeah and, and so i invited him to the crossfit games i think that's how it happened and then um he went to uh he got in i was working but i had him go to greg's box and i think he met greg and then Greg decided he didn't want to do it. And I think that they just, it just wasn't nothing in particular, but they Mm -hmm. just didn't uh, hit it off. Yeah. And so then that's when we started the email of the day at CrossFit and similar to the Twitter account that I started at CrossFit that I was got in trouble for back before (laughs) there was Instagram or any of that shit ended up becoming a massive tool. And as soon as the email of the day became successful, that was also taken from me and ruined very quickly. Um, I don't know if you remember, but it used to be really cool the email of the yeah. day. And then all of a sudden they just started making an exact duplicate of the homepage. And mm-hmm. so it was just, it was, the whole thing got fucked up, but, <laughs> uh, 
And then, so, so you're over at the morning uh, chalk up and you're there for three years and without a doubt, it's the um, most notorious, uh, infamous, uh, I'll go as far as to say, breaks my heart, the premier, uh, no peer, standalone in, in its class. Um, e- even though there were things like probably like box rocks and bar mm-hmm. bend, they, they weren't uh, more, the, the community felt like they had ownership of morning chalk up. Like it was part and parcel with it. It, it was an organization, but still within the community. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and I can't think of anything else uh, like that. No, I mean, even now it still is. I mean, the, the joke is, it's not even a joke, but we, we would say when I was at the morning chalk up that we do, we cover CrossFit better than CrossFit does. Like we right. tell, we tell the stories that CrossFit should be telling, and we took ownership of that. Like when we when we write all these pieces about you know someone like Amy Bream, who you know is an adaptive athlete, who you know you know who battled to become a CrossFit Games athlete. You know we, we covered that before CrossFit did. You know uh, we're doing a lot more of these community pieces than CrossFit is. I mean, CrossFit should be doing the community pieces, not the morning chalk up. We should be covering just the sport. And so that was kind of like the a badge of honor that i mean people at morning chocolate probably still feel that way that they do crossfit better than crossfit and 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 do you do you have any idea how many people work there in its prime at its peak i think at one point we might have had maybe including contributors like you know in terms of writers maybe 18 and and um it was considered a a prestigious job in in the space people were proud to work there yeah and um and and you did everything there right you you'd all, you i would see you in videos uh i would see you in um you written articles and you did photography yeah and then i i helped out with the newsletter as well like i would have eyes on i'd help with like finding like everything from our speed reads to um our highlights you know just anything anything i thought that was newsworthy worth worth i would you know contribute in that way and on the back end and um before the newsletter would go out, I would have one of the final eyes on in terms of making making sure the corrections, you know, wording. so some editing too. Yeah, some editing. Yeah, and um, uh, there's another word for it. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the, the the word is, but make sure it's on point yeah. with something Morning Chalk Up would want to put out. Correct. It's in CrossFit, we would call it just sort of like make make sure it's on point with our brand. Yeah, but for you on brand. Yeah, yeah, on brand. Sure it's on brand. Yeah. 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 I would do that. And then uh, one of the coolest, one of the things I was, I really got to enjoy was a YouTube channel and also um, the uh, assigning, coming up with story ideas and assigning them out. So at one point I was our, I guess, one you want to call a news editor, you know, where, you know, I would come up with ideas and, you know, hey, Emily Beers, you're going to write this story or do you want to write this story or, you know, just assign them. So that was kind of cool. Assignment editor, I guess you want to call it. Yeah, I think uh, in in the film space we'd call it a producer. You'd yeah. be like some sort of an executive yeah, producer. Yeah. Okay, we need these yeah. ten things done. These are the teams or the people who are going to go out yeah. and do it. Yeah. Kind of the same thing you did. Maybe a lot of what you did when you uh, showed up on site in the military. Yeah, yeah exactly. Kind of a, a, a bigger picture, making sure everything is getting done. Yeah, that was kind of like I, that was a role that I was kind of like I kind of created for myself at the morning chaco, and that's yeah. what that's what kind of brought the resurgence of the YouTube channel back. You know. Oh. And, and and that's pretty recently, right? That's in the last year. Yeah, last year. So actually, September. And I take I take extreme pride in this. Is like, I mean, that YouTube channel was 
yeah, at one point, you know, we brought on uh, Clyde Sales Scott on to kind of run the YouTube channel. Just for whatever reasons, it didn't work out. I think I think it was just more the styles didn't really fit each other. So after the games, you know, we had no one. We had no YouTube personality, nothing like that. So, you know, the I was games of 2022 or games of 2021? 2021. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, after 2021 and um I was going I think that that fall the what was it Labor Day? Yeah, Labor Day weekend. I went uh, I got invited to go down the train with Rich and I took my camera equipment with, with me and um I asked Rich, "Hey, do you want to sit down and do some interviews?" So we sat down and that's where he kind of broke kind of, we kind of broke that he was, it might possibly be his last year. So I filmed it, sit down interview with him. And then um, I asked Justin if I could have the YouTube uh, credentials so I can throw that interview up there. So I threw that interview up there and it got a lot of views. And then I started shooting more interviews and started doing that. But the thing is like, I wasn't very good at interviewing people. Um, And we had someone on staff that had a background in that, but she wasn't being utilized in that. So I, I called Lauren. I'm like, Lauren, you know, you should be doing these. I'm like, let's bring the YouTube channel back. And she goes, well, is Justin knowing we're doing this? I'm like, no, let's just do it. I've been doing it anyways. Let's you, let's, let's me and you do this. Let's make this YouTube channel a thing. So, you know, you'll see from September to like December, it was like, it was kind of like. Of 2021. Yeah. 2021. You know, you can see the transition of me going to Lauren and then Lauren kind of making it her own. But at the, you know, I was kind of acting as her producer on the side, come helping her out with ideas, put her in touch with athletes, you know, and this was all being done without Justin's like approval. We're just doing it. And uh, well, I, I don't want to take anything away from you, but it, it also shows th- that was the key to the success of CrossFit in the first five years. Also, that we were allowed to be intrapreneurs. That was a term I learned from Patrick Bed David, which is oh, basically okay. yeah. entrepreneurs within an entrepreneurial organization. Yeah. So, so he, God knows, I don't want to give him any credit, but he he uh, he found the right person in you who was a workhorse and an entrepreneur and who could be a self starter. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. fucking ran with it. Yeah, yeah. And then Lauren took because it a lot in. of bo- a lot of bosses might not have done what Justin did and put in, and stepped on your dick and been like, no. Right. But you ran with it. You t- And it's not like you were getting the same across. It's not like anyone was getting paid extra for this shit. It's just like, no. hey, I work here. I take pride in it. I'm doing it. Yeah. And I, I, I looked at so it. So many people a- don't realize that's how shit gets off the ground. I know. Exactly. And that's- what are you going to pay me? Get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, what do you think this is the fucking government you work for? Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't get paid for any not a good analogy. Don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, pay me either. Yeah. Um, no, it was, it, it was awesome. It was actually kind of cool. Just kind of like starting from, from, you know, kind of rebranding it because we had, I think we had like 25,000 followers on the YouTube channel, but that was all from the 2019 games when we were able to use the feed from the 2019 games and show it on the morning chocolate. So people, those, all those, a lot of those subscribers were dead, not dead literally, but they were, you know, they weren't active accounts, YouTube accounts. Right. So, um, do, do you, do you, um, and I have a huge bias. I, I appreciate Lauren's content that's more raw than the edited pieces that feel like. So I, when I had her on the show, I watched like a hundred mm-hmm. of her news stories when she was, you know, w- working on at all these, uh, 
news stations around the country. Yeah. And it was, it's that typical format that's, you know, like that you've seen a Will Ferrell movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like the show. Yeah. I haven't watched that kind of news in like, I don't know, 25 years. Yeah. I, I'm even actually surprised people still watch that kind of news. I, I mm-hmm. but that I, I appreciate her raw stuff more. Like oh, I love the stuff that she's putting out like at rogue or yeah. at Zellos games. I'm like, Oh, this, like, I feel like I'm, this is real. Yeah. It is. It's her. That's that's Lauren putting her personality out there, and that's that's why we love that. You know, whenever we had a show with that, we get me, Tommy, and Brian on with her. Like anytime we had those, those little debate shows where we made picks, those are the funnest. And she'll tell you those are probably our favorite episodes because and she was, flourished there too because she drives forward. Yes. Yeah. Kind of like, how, floor, you yeah, kinda like how you do. Yeah. Flourished. Yeah. And she, and she would get involved as well. She would put and we would invite her in. You know, in kind of like the analyst world. And uh, she she liked that, and you know, and she's you know she does really good in those situations where, like you said, it's raw and unscripted. She's so much better at that, and I think that has a lot to do with her background in in TV. When she would show up to a location of a of, of a fire, and then she has to interview some random guy in his underwear and like ask him what's going on. He's yeah, like, oh, yeah. you know, and she, she would, did she that would, stuff good too. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Like I saw, I, I can remember this one piece she did where she was at a flood. Yeah, and she randomly yeah. interviews this guy. He's fucking doesn't want to talk, but she fucking gets it out of him. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't want to say that she's best there. I just don't like that other style. I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think that uh, she does the cheese dick style great too. It's just yeah. not. I just think it's cheese dick. Sure. No, I, I agree. It's like, hey, what's your favorite color? I mean, you brought that up. You know, stuff like that. And I think most people do agree. You don't learn anything. I mean, it, and plus that story's already been told at some point. Right. I mean, you do a lot. Of, you do a lot of great research and. Um, and I don't know how many times you can come across the same story that's been told, you know, get, get, get you something new, you know, or I think that's where your platform is really good as in terms of you can bring a lot of that information out. Um, you know, when I was at the morning chalk up, I, I mean, I, I pride myself on soaking content. That's one reason why you see me in those chats because I'm, I'm there listening. I listen to you. I listen to Nate Edwardson. I listen to Craig Rich. I listen to all of it because I want to hear what everyone in the space is seeing. I want to hear those other opinions too. Um, because that's how it makes, that's what makes me a better journalist or a better, a better analyst is knowing what everyone's opinions and thoughts are. And then I can form my own, you know, based off of what you guys are doing and, and, and compare the two or three or four. I should be watching those. Um, no, I, I don't, I don't think so at this point. I think that you've, you've established I watch Lauren pretty much and that's it. Yeah. And then if I have to, I'll go over to, um, if I have to, I'll do Invictus mindset. If I have yeah. to, I'll do, um, the brute guy. Yeah. And if I have, and, 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 but basically my go-tos are Lauren and, uh, and Clydesdale. Yeah. I think those Scott are has some Scott. The reason why I like Scott so much is he asks, I feel like he breaks the surface with people. Yeah, he does. It's, it's like, a very, it's like the only one with like some depth to it. Yeah. I shouldn't say the only, but, but he, yeah. He, he's he's very calm. He's like the Buddha sitting there, and he'll mm-hmm. ask some deeper questions, and people will open up to him. Yeah, I agree. He's a very and, obviously and, a very likable guy. And to tell you the truth, not a lot of people watch it, so I could just steal a shit. <laughs> like he asked a question, I'm like, "Fuck, this is fucking amazing." And I'll be like, "Well, I'll ask the same question, and I'll get more eyeballs on it, and people will pat me on the back." Yeah, no, I think you're fine with those two, and then scattering the others, especially with with Lauren and Clydesdale. It's, it's I mean, you're a busy guy. It seems like you're a busy guy, but it just you know you're you're doing no more than 30 minutes of listening or research where some of these podcasts can go longer than that and then um yeah and most of these other ones like nate and craig a lot of them are repeating stories or news that's already they're just giving their opinion on it you know 
that's the th- that's the thing that's the thing where I struggle with those guys because I oh, I, I w- if Nate could just title all my videos I'd be fucking gold. He is yeah. the king of titling. Mm-hmm. I I that is not easy, people. Yeah, that titling. is not. His titles are so fucking good, mm-hmm. but I've learned to like, hey, take his titles and then do my research somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, he some some news is out about Haley Adams, but I then I just can't put myself through the fifteen minutes, yeah, of um, of of way of, of of that. Nate's done a great job, if you notice, especially in the last month. He's found he found his yes, terms. like he needs to talk. He knows that, and he's real. About- it's his voice. Yeah. It's re- he's real as fuck. It's yeah. his voice. He's found that Haley Adams, Danielle Brandon, Mal O'Brien, anything HWPO. If he puts a thumbnail or talks anything about them, he's going to get automatically fifteen thousand views. Right. And and his videos are eight minutes, so it's really short. So he's figured out this formula now because he for a while there he's kind of been back and forth with a lot of things, and I think what he's found now, it 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 it, it works for him. You yeah. Know? And he's doing a he good job. He seems genuine as fuck. He, yeah. he's him and Hiller are kind of on the same page uh, in, in 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 terms of, but I just feel like Hiller. I get more of his opinion. Yeah. And so, like, I feel like Hiller's laying concrete blocks, and mm-hmm. and uh, Nate Anderson's kind of like putting out clouds of smoke. The second yeah. I think I'm going to get something, I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Did yep. I, where did that go? Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Hiller would like, whether I agree with him or not, um, I, I'm so stimulated by it. I'm like, okay, there's the wall he built. I can touch it. I can yeah. decide whether I. Yeah, that's a great analogy. That's a good way to compare the two. Um, no, I mean, I think Nate's doing. I mean, he's found a formula, and it's 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 working yeah. for him, and it's it's something that I wanted to kind of when I was at Morning Chalk and help with the YouTube channel. That's something that I wanted to do more of to have some of those opinionated pieces where we're hitting on some of these. Some I'm of these ready topics. to hear Lauren's opinion. By the way. She's been in the space long enough yes. that I she doesn't just have to push the story forward. Like mm-hmm. I want to hear her chime in. A hundred percent. Like, oh, I don't know, Brian, that's bullshit. Tommy, what do you think? Yeah. Like, just start start like just start some fights. Yeah. I want I wanted her to do that too. When I when she's I'm, ready. Uh, yeah. She knows yeah. she knows more than she knows as much as anyone else. She might as well. Yeah. I I hundred percent agree. And it was great because like her, I was able to hang out with her as Zelos and as you know, I didn't really have any immediate capacity at Zelos this year. I was, I was just hanging out, managing and shooting here and there, but it was for no one in particular, but I was able to kind of hang out with Lauren and you know, it, it was, it felt like old times, like what we wanted to do before. I so left. it wasn't, it wasn't weird. No, 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 not at all. I mean, it's not weird at all. I mean, there was a little bit of weirdness. I think at, when we we're at rogue, but once we realized like, Hey, you know, we, we're we're both in good places now and that we can we can live you know we're both doing two different things you know she's on she's on the youtube platform i'm more written you know but yeah everything's cool it, it's great to be around her and presley i you haven't had a chance to meet presley yet but she she's a good one too but those two girls are doing great things i mean two women are doing great things at the morning chalk up and and for the space and crossfit you're gonna see a lot more presley coming up here and and on, on different platforms you th- th- when i when i think of the morning chalk up in the past i the, the people i would think of would be obviously justin but i would think of uh uh you emily beers uh tommy and brian mm-hmm. for whatever reason i don't know if that's accurate but those are like the in that order that, in that order no 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 <laughs> no um and um tommy if i'm mischaracterizing this uh, let me know tommy left mm-hmm. shortly after brian left mm-hmm. and shortly after you left 
Correct. All three, all three analysts. Yeah. Um, is, is something going on there? Is it like, why are you guys leaving? Is it because you're big, bigger and better things? I mean, obviously Barbend is, uh, I mean, it's a robust website. There's a ton of shit going on there. Is it be, for independence? Is it just out of a press? And, and I think, I don't know this for a fact and you correct me if I'm wrong, but Tommy and Sean's podcast has been absorbed into Charlie Doobie's company, wild, wild horses. What's Charlie's company's name? Uh, Hamilton Road. Hamilton Wild Horses. Hamilton Road. And so so is there did you exhaust your time there or or you didn't like it there? Me I I exhausted my time there. Um just need a change. You you weren't like you weren't pissed. They weren't like, "Hey, um uh, I wouldn't say I wasn't pissed. There's some things I was I was unhappy with when I left, but I wasn't in a position to make any change, so that's one reason why I left. Um, that and they brought in a new guy. They brought in that guy from Outside Magazine, who I'm not a fan of, a- absolutely at all. Uh, let me be very clear. Okay. Uh, uh, Patrick, um, Patrick, Hassenblad. Oh, Hass- yeah, Hassenblad. Blander, Blander has it. Yeah. yeah. Did, they brought him in to work uh, under. Oh, that's a cool photo. Oh, if those were gold chains, I would be doubly <laughs> as happy. That'd be gangster. That was a that was in Dubai last year. Um, look how tan you are. I know. I was so tan back then. Uh, did did his coming have anything to do with um your guys? He's not in this photo, right? The Patrick no, guy. No. Um, did his showing up? Did that change? Did they do a restructuring or a reorg or anything like that that made it so that you and Tommy and Brian? No, I I mean, I mean obviously there were some changes in restructuring, but I don't think anything he did affected what we were doing. I mean, at least on the surface level. I mean, we were still able to analyst. I mean, we we pitched stories. We were still, you know, able to do a lot of things. But it was a change in terms of the structure and what we used to do and how we would do things. Um, it gave us another step. I mean, he's <clears throat> he was brought in to be the senior managing editor, and he was and he's really good at doing that. Uh, we were not used to that because either it was, uh, you know, Joe Jensen Palawa who was our editor, but he. You know, he didn't have the background that Patrick did, or it was Justin LaFranco, who was our senior managing editor, you know. So, you know, the style was different, but that I don't think that had anything to do with us leaving. Um, you know, Brian, Brian left for his reasons. Um, I'm happy Brian left because if what what him leaving gave other opportunities, it showed other people in the space that there's other it's just not the morning chalk up in terms oh. of if you want to be an analyst or a journalist or someone in the field. Because at the time is either you wrote for a CrossFit, which didn't have really any writers, or the morning chalk up if you wanted to be a writer or an analyst. And since the games, Barbell Spins shown that they're they're a contender now. And then yeah, you, sh- you showed up on the scene after the whole entire media department had been fired. Correct. If it actually, if it, I wouldn't be in this space if it wasn't for Tommy and actually Rory, because um, I, I used to be a judge. I used, I used to judge competitions. I mean, that's that was my thing. Um, that's that was I had no desire to do anything journalism or writing, but I ran into them and it was right after they got fired and they were kind of like free agents. They were in China. They got brought over to China and you know we we're sitting there sharing our stories and I was sharing mine and. Yeah, that was, I think that was my last games, 2019 games. Yeah, my last year as a judge. Um, 
And they kind of they 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 were like, hey, you should get into the uh, journalism space. Yeah, because they, I, you know, we're telling each other our story, and they're like, how come you're not doing anything media really? I'm like, is there anything out there? And and th- that was so weird because at the time I thought it was just CrossFit Media, and they're like, of course, there's plenty of things because at the time both of those guys were trying to find their spot, their place in right in the post, you know, firing or whatever. Um, Everyone's so, yeah. still trying to find their place. Exactly, it, it still is. You're right. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was kind of Tommy. Tommy got brought on by Morning Chalk Up. I started volunteering as a photographer at the Morning Chalk Up. And then uh, Justin realized, you know, that I could write and I had a background in sports journalism. So he brought me on and and here I am. So, yeah. So so Tommy leaves and that kind of I'm, I'm trying to piggyback off of this idea that I may have gleaned from you. Uh, Tommy leaves and that sets precedent like, okay, th- there's life after morning chalk up. He, he took that step. Then Brian leaves and you're, and that's when you, it, it really comes to your mind. Okay. Wow. He, he's finding another place to mm-hmm. uh, practice his craft. Yeah. And, um, and then, and then the opportunity, uh, it sounds like none of you were like, fuck you. I quit and slammed the door on the way out. It sounds like other doors open opened mm-hmm. yep. and you guys went through them. Yeah. Like yeah, there was never fine. a day you weren't working the day that you worked for morning chalk up in bar Bend, they, they butted up against each other. Yeah. I literally wrote a, a preview piece for morning chalk up. And the next day I was writing a, a, uh, a recap of day one at the rogue. So I went <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So it was like, I get, I put in my two weeks, told Justin, this is my last day. This is what I'm going to do up until that last day. I mean, I literally was working until that the last hours, of of that kind of trying to think the 28th 27th or something like that and then the next day was full-blown you know right in the bar bin coverage which was great um that's how i prefer things like their onboarding they they said i had the people at barbins like i had the most unique onboarding ever you know most people don't onboard with at an event <laughs> so i went right into it I, I, I really wanted, there was a, there was like a, a month where I really wanted Lauren to come over and oh, yeah. do all the games interviews for yeah. me. I was just fucking exhausted from, I just, not like physically or mentally or not physically or emotionally exhausted, but it was just like, like, you know, it's like you just eat too much chocolate. You're like, I shouldn't have eaten the whole bar. <laughs> yeah. That's how I felt about the games. Yeah. Like I just wanted to throw up. And I was yeah. like, if I could get Lauren over here and I was always admiring how much content she put out. And the fact that she could push the show forward. Yeah. I was like, damn, this girl just pushes and pushes and just pushing the team forward. She content she, to see her. I didn't get to see her that much during the games because I was busy shooting. Um, you know, I was busy shooting, so I wasn't able to help her out as much as I wanted to. But then seeing her at Zealous Games, <clears throat> seeing her at Zealous Games was like, wow, she she's freaking amazing. You know, she's on the grind. Yeah, she constantly is. And she's got so much better at turning that stuff around. Like, she didn't know how to do a lot of this InDesign or, you know, Premiere stuff, you know, like the editing. And she's taught herself how to do that to a point where she can quickly turn around something. Yeah, uh, she said she was up till 530 in the morning. When I hear that, I know someone's on Premiere. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're on Premiere. But, she, but that was that Rogue. I think now she's better at it. Like, she was turning that stuff around pretty quick at, at Zelos. Um, and... uh yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm excited for her because I really think, you know, well, she's in a tough spot without you and Tommy and Brian, though, to dip in the well. I, yeah, I, yeah. It, 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 the videos have gotten. Uh, oh, fuck it. Weird. Mm-hmm. 
Like the, no. like, like I can tell she's like these people, but and by weird, I guess here's a, here's a more friendly way to say it. You can tell she's interviewing new people to replace you. Like she hasn't found the guys to replace you yet. Yeah. So she's, she's rotating in people looking. I, yeah. I think the best person she's found so far is Jamie Hagaya. Yeah. Oh, I love Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. She's dope. I, yeah. I'd love to work with her too. She yeah. is dope. And it's, it's, a, we're in a weird space right now, especially with her. It's like a lot of these people that she's bringing in, they work for Hamilton roads as well, which works for okay. so a lot of these, a lot of these people probably, I don't know if there's going to be like an exclusivity where they were not going to be able to come on our show anymore. And that's what I, I, that's something I've always been fearful because I knew as soon as we did, we started coming out that YouTube channel, that at some point someone's going to grab our idea, someone with more money, probably crossfit are going to, they're going to grab our idea and throw more money at it and more resources at it and make it their own. And I think through Hamilton roads, I think that's ultimately what they're going to do with talking elite fitness. Well, Oh yeah. Well, I I will tell you this. I, at the end of the day, I am very, very happy of how things turned out with mine and Lauren Cleo's relationship. Oh, I'm actually very happy. She stayed over there and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and and the turn of events that happened for her, I think are great. I think finding people who know about games to come on your show and talk is fucking way harder than most people know. But I say this with all humility, anyone out there who thinks you're going to take someone from my show and make them completely your own mm-hmm. and not let them come on my show. You, you, you are out of, you will only hurt yourself. Yeah. I say that with peace and love, <laughs> but you will only hurt yourself. That's not a threat. I'm just saying, I no. think that everyone, I think the people who come on my show, it, it brings so much value to the other places that they go. Yeah. And I would never do that to one of my employees either. I don't think be like, mm-hmm. Hey, you can't go. You or employees, volunteers, yeah, I would never say, "Hey, you can't go somewhere else." Because for me, the, that was the greatest thing about Brian. Mm-hmm. He could be everywhere, and I want—I wanted people to see him on Talking Elite Fitness at the morning chalk up, and then pop onto my show. Like, yeah. fuck. And Brian, dope. and Brian's the type of person that he doesn't want that. He doesn't want to be tied down to one thing. That was—that was important when oh, he was- the Benjamins, Patrick. Exactly. There's a number. There's a number. There, there is. There is. <laughs> but, but if he was, I mean, he—he's the. Brian's Brian's a star. Obviously, we all know that, but it's only getting brighter. You saw what he did on the Zealous games. Yeah. As soon as I mean, that's opening up so many opportunities. I mean, there's opportunities opening up right now for him. He's gonna be doing the same, you know, he's gonna be broadcasting again at Dubai. You know, yeah. I mean, his his style is it's it's something fresh, it's new, and people respect him and they know that what they're getting, they're not getting a cookie cutter, you know, color analyst. They're getting someone that actually puts time and money and research into it's 1950s i would even say it's not new it's 1950s yeah he's the it, fucking guy where you can close well he you could close your eyes and remember like when you hear boxing matches on the yes, radio yes and yeah, it's like that whole picture yep yeah no, i agree you know i i went back and re rewatched the whole broadcast the last couple of days and it's just like it's amazing what you know you guys showed that it's capable so when when someone says, "Hey, we cannot sh- we cannot live stream the semifinal from South Africa or Brazil," you know it's bullshit. You know, you guys did that on a shoestring budget with some volunteers that and 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 with five thousand more dollars, if we could have got a fat pipe in there, internet yeah. pipe, yeah, d- then it's then then we 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 rule the roost, yeah. Because those iPhones shoot 4K, and yep. at that point we rule the roost. Yep. No one, the intimacy of the Zealous games. I'm so, I'm so proud of what we did there. It, it was amazing. It's, it's, it's groundbreaking. It's very, it's very raw, but at the same time very refined. Like, and you, know, you got to see all the events. Exactly. 
You got to see the finish line. You got to see yep. all the athletes. Yeah, it's very raw. And then, but but that being said, it's 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 um, it was more uh, you got everything, and I can't mm-hmm. say, I can't say the other events. I can't say that you even get half the shit, even ten yep. percent of the shit. Yep. I mean, Souza was running around, going behind the scenes. I mean, you don't get that. You don't. Right. You have to wait. I mean, you saw that you've, you've produced and you've directed a lot of these videos. It's like, you have to wait like six months to see the, at least. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but he's, you're seeing it right there. You're seeing how these athletes interact. Uh, Thank you, Scott. It is all about the fact that is correct. Thank you. But you got to see that right there and you got to see these, how these athletes interacted with each other, what they do. It's like, you don't see that. You don't see that until the documentary comes out or their miles to Madison or whatever. Even then it's a small snippet. So and it's polished. You know it's been edited. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, that, that's, and that's, not, that's that's not CrossFit. CrossFit isn't edited. CrossFit's raw. It's, yeah. it's dirty box gym, you know, chalk everywhere, you know, bad lighting. That's that's CrossFit. But you guys captured that. I appreciate you being on here, Patrick. Yeah. Uh Definitely. I was actually thinking at the 45 minute mark, I'm like we're never going to finish <laughs> this I uh I look forward to having you on again. I hope yeah, you anytime. will I, I hope you will uh, come on again. I do not say that at the end of even 10% of my shows. Yeah, I tell well, you, uh, we have a lot more to talk about, brother. We definitely do. I, pr- I appreciate it. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being so open, intimate, letting us get to know you. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's refreshing. I appreciate it. No, no problem. Yeah. Caleb, stay safe over there. We'll do. And Patrick, do I, do, do I have your phone number? Can I have uh, your phone number? I think, I think in that email, is that your is that your phone number? Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll text you my number so that way you have it. Okay. Thank you. No problem. All right, guys. Have a great day. Uh, peace and love. My kids have been in the car for 20 minutes. Oh. No, they. I told my wife I'm going to be late. Uh, just loaded them up. Okay. I am coming. Uh, a very open, very candid, very pleasant, very smart, very uh, sincere. Uh, but we have to get to the bottom of the morning chalk up thing. There's no way. All three, the service. Yeah. There's no way all three of those guys, I wouldn't have let, I would have, I would have kept pushing, digging a little bit more. Uh, but I was like, I got freaked out by the clock. <laughs> I got freaked out by the clock. He's great. He's, He's great. Pretty cool. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I don't even know. I love you too, Bruce. You the man. Uh, I, um, not that I had any concrete preconceived notions of him. It wasn't like swirling around in my head. Oh, he's going to be super charming or he's going to be a dickhead or he's, but I don't even know what my, I wasn't even conscious of my preconceived notions, but I obviously had them because I've seen him around in the space forever. And uh, it, it's always awesome when people like, he didn't just double or 10 X. He just like went completely went off the chart of, of whatever I thought he was. He like left it in the dust. Like I couldn't even yeah. I was like, wow, this is, I'd forgotten anything I knew about him. Yeah, I met him at semifinals, and just even that was like, oh, he's a really good dude. He came up to me right away and was right and just said hello and introduced himself, and he's a really nice guy. Yeah, good dude. All right, brother. Uh, thank you. Um, I'll see you in the text messages. Everyone, uh, have a good day. Uh, tomorrow morning is uh, Hiller Fit. Will you be here tomorrow, Caleb? Yeah, I should be. All right. Uh, it's going to be a fun one tomorrow. It's going to be, could be could even get crazy. All right. Bye-bye.